What's up, Creighton fans? This is uh, Matt DeMarinas, and I'm sitting here uh, with Creighton head volleyball coach Kirsten Brenthal Booth. Um, getting ready to wrap up the 2019 season and uh, kind of look back at it, look back at the NCAA tournament, and look ahead to um, next fall. So, Kirsten, first of all, thank you for making time to sit down. I know, like, you're probably trying to decompress from um, the season ending and also, you know, no, happy Get to be here and, and everything. appreciate uh, your coverage of us. Yeah, no problem. It's fun. You guys are a fun team to cover. There's not too much drama. <laughs> Knock on wood, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, can we just get started with the uh, NCAA tournament itself? Uh, you know, the Iowa State match in particular because, you know, I found that one really curious as a matchup in general because normally when Creighton and Iowa State play, it's, you know, it settles into a pretty good rock fight with two traditionally good defensive programs but you guys were going into that you know Erica suffered the injury obviously and the offense kind of taken a dip in terms of its efficiency since she went down how did you guys manage to put together enough of a game plan and execute well enough offensively to hit as well as you did against a team that's normally pretty hard to execute against well I I can tell you sincerely I was uh really concerned about the Iowa State match I thought it was a toss-up match could go either way um we spent with our team, 100% of our time was to Iowa State. We didn't talk to them about mm-hmm. Minnesota at all because we really felt like if we didn't play our best, we, we wouldn't win. You know, we had the Kostelak injury, um, but they also had an injury to their top hitter um, who we thought actually was going to be back because we'd seen some pictures of her training on mm-hmm. Instagram, um, and she did play some back row, but I don't think her ankle was well enough for her to play front row. Um, you know, as far as hitting efficiency, I mean, I think I think we won the match because of our serving. Okay. I think we really disrupted them, and, and they are a middle-driven team, a middle and right side, but the injury to the right side. But their middles are really, really good, and, and our serving disrupted that opportunity um, for them to get the ball to the middle as much as they'd like. And then we got some early blocks on them, and I think that probably affected things a little bit too. Um, I don't know about our offense other than I think we were just uh, maybe locked in a little bit more than mm. sometimes. And, um, you know, I thought we knew which blockers maybe to go after, and our hitters did a nice job of doing that. Gotcha. Um, when you were going into the Minnesota match, I mean, obviously you had the scout the night before, but that's just your, your you know, real quick view of them. Um, but they, they obviously are a tough team to beat in that gym. And then they only lost twice all year to two top five teams, but – um, what were some of your, you know, the things that you isolated as first of all concerns going into that matchup itself? Well, we had we had watched some Minnesota. I want to clarify that the players had not focused on Minnesota, and we hadn't spent. I probably spent thirty percent of my time on Minnesota. So we we as a staff knew them a little bit going in. Um, you know, I think the things that were our big concerns was their physicality, which I think mm-hmm. is what ended up hurting us in the end when they switched to a six-two. Their block is just bigger than probably any block we've faced all fall. Um, And that includes some pretty salty teams from, you know, uh, Nebraska to Kentucky to USC. Uh, The thing that all of those programs had was a player or two we could attack. And when Minnesota switched to the 6-2, we had no smaller person to kind of attack. They took their setter out of the front row, which we were having some success getting after her Mm -hmm. um, from an offensive standpoint. Um, 
so that concerned me. Uh, obviously, they're, I mean, they just have weapons all over the sure. place. You know, you know, we had a variety of things that we felt like we could do, but number one, we had to we had to serve and pass well. Um, and I thought in game one we didn't, mm-hmm. um, uh, but then I thought we did disrupt them a little bit more. And then the other thing is, you know, if Minnesota is out of system, they don't always swing aggressively. Um, sometimes they do. Um, and we knew if, if they gave us an off-speed ball, even though it would be tactical, we needed to, to get it and then transition to attack out of it. And we were really, really poor at that in the first game. Um, I think it was kind of getting used to, even though we talked about some of the things that they would do, um, we just we were off balance and just had some balls drop that I thought were inexcusable. And then I thought we kind of got our rhythm after game one and kind of figured that, that piece of the game out. I I wonder how much of a of the how much of a match was a surprise to you after game one? Because usually when a team like that puts it on someone in their own gym, you know they they can probably settle in pretty and feel pretty confident about what they're doing out there. But it seemed like the minute game two, the game two was entirely different, and then it kind of flipped in your favor for a good portion of that. Match. Well, I think. Um we played poorly in game one. And so, you know, between game one and two, I mean, my feedback to the team was we lost that game because of what we did. Okay. Um, and so there's a difference between a team just coming out and beating you versus mm-hmm. you beating yourself. And I thought a lot of game one was us beating ourselves. And then the second thing I said, and I say this when we win games big, is I said it is better we lost that game the way we did than had we lost it 25-27 because if you lose it 25-27 the other team's on high alert at 25-13 which was the score of the game a lot of teams let down a little bit Mm -hmm. and I don't know if Minnesota let down or whether we played better probably a combination of both but I you know it it almost sounds counterintuitive but sometimes if we're going to get our butts beat a little bit I'd prefer to get beat pretty bad because it goes back to zero yeah you know so it's you always say that's the best and worst thing it's the best and worst thing about the sport so um so I had I actually articulated the team if we were going to lose the way we lost actually is a good thing now let's kick it into gear and go gotcha um what do you feel like the team was doing well especially late into game four when that one turned into more of a seesaw battle after you guys rolled them pretty good in three to get control of that one and get yourselves to match point because it seemed like they were starting to pick up some momentum, mm-hmm. but you guys, you know, I think you called your first time out at that point and then reeled off, I think, three in a row with some pretty big some pretty big plays defensively and offensively. Well, I don't know if there was anything different. I thought, uh, you know, um, Minnesota came back because of the blocking changes, and I thought they started to pass uh, better. Mm-hmm. Um Wit in particular made some really big defensive plays, and then sometimes we were able to scramble and and win the points. Um, and then our hitters uh, created. You know, uh, you know, I'm sick over the loss, but it, it, we lost the same way that we'd been winning, and that was going for it. Mm-hmm. You know, we were not going to beat this team by you know trying to hope that they make errors. We needed to be aggressive and go for it, and that's what they did. You know, in opportunities, and sometimes that's just. Uh, you know, sometimes that's tooling. Sometimes the blocker's not getting closed and it's coming down in front of them. Sometimes it's mixing it up offensively with with a roll or a tip. But um, I thought I thought we didn't do anything different in Game Four. If anything, I thought Minnesota started to pass better in Game Four, uh, especially the second half. I know when you're uh, 
you're 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 just beyond the point of the program to look for you know silver lining and stuff like that. When so when you're in the locker room and you're you're trying to swallow the reality of how close you guys were in four and how and then the result you automatically have to go home with. Like how do you address a group like that where it was a combination of seniors that kind of emptied the tank a little bit. Um, and then their careers are over, and then you had underclassmen and Jayla and Keeley, for example, that played arguably their best matches of their careers um, that have, you know, futures in this program. How do you, you know, balance your message to the group in that moment to, you know, kind of, I don't know, alleviate some of their emotion? Well, I don't know if it's a balance. It was the truth. I, I told them that I had so much fun with them and that I love them, and they did everything right. And, you know, sometimes when you do things right, the outcomes come and sometimes they don't. And I thought they left everything out on the court. They went for it. They were true to what we stand for as a program, which is to be aggressive. And, um, you know, I just said it hurts that I don't get to spend another week coaching you guys. So um, that was my message and it was the way I felt. You know, I, I loved this group. I loved every single young woman on this team, whether they were on the court or whether they weren't on the court. And that includes, you know, Megan Sharkey, who didn't, you know, get to play it all this season. You know, Erica got injured. I mean, they, each of them contributed to this team. Um, and, you know, that's the part that hurts is I'm, I'm sad it's over for them because they, they deserve to be playing longer. Mm-hmm. What, what, what surprised you about this group as a whole? Like maybe if you had some preconceived notion about what you, even if you had different expectations for what this group could accomplish or in terms of its ceiling based on, you know, last couple of years, what surprised you about what this group was able to accomplish or just something that they were able to do in terms of their growth throughout the three months? Well, I think I just didn't, with three new pins, and pins carry so much load, meaning the outside hitter and right side hitter positions, mm-hmm. um, you just have so many unknowns and and I think my biggest question mark was mental stability. You know, how how would they have, you know, how would Keely Davis handle it if she got blocked three times in a row? Would she fold and that would be the end of the match for her or could she work herself out? And maybe that was the part that I thought was really awesome about this group is they, none of them as individuals and especially not as a team, did they at any point fold throughout the season, which is pretty impressive, I think, because I, I always think the key to being a great volleyball player, especially as a hitter, is mental resiliency. Mm-hmm. And um, with so many, I, don't even, I wouldn't even say so many, but some young kids in new positions playing such key roles, I just was really concerned about our consistency, and I thought that was maybe the most impressive. And then you couple that with, um, I've said all along, our senior leadership was outstanding. And I think they were outstanding, and I've used the word stable. They just are kids in their own personal life, but also as volleyball players, that they approach each day the same. You're not going to have a kid that is in a good mood and practices really hard on Monday and then fails a test and comes in and doesn't work hard on Tuesday. They just None of them are like that. They're just kids that are going to be the same people every day, regardless of what's going on in their life. And that's really important, I think, for leadership. Um, and then they built relationships with everyone on the team. And, you know, we had a small team this year, mm-hmm. which that's always a double-edged sword. I mean, you run into problems sometimes in training, um, if you have injuries, and we did run into that issue. Um, but the benefit is 
you know, usually kids are bought into the, whatever their role is. And, you know, our, our kids that didn't play much were freshmen. Um, and generally freshmen understand that it's a process before they get on the court. And so, you know, some of those things that can disrupt a team um, for, you know, didn't happen this sure. year just because of those things. Yeah, it took care of itself. Yeah. Um, well, I want to focus on a little bit on the players that are going to be back in the mix. Um, and specifically, a, a, a few of them that had good matches over the weekend and at the end of the season. Um, with Keely and Jayla specifically, you know, you, you just like, you try to think back to that first weekend and they were really aggressive. Um, they certainly had the, the, the baseline in terms of what you guys wanted them to be like this season, but you could also see that um, errors affected them early in the year. It didn't seem like, especially in the Minnesota match, where that one was tend to be higher on both teams. There were there were ebbs and flows to that mm-hmm. in terms of efficiency, um, but they seemed to work themselves out of it like upperclassmen, like yeah. we were upperclassmen too. How did how did that growth happen? Is it just because they did it and it's that simple, or is it something about them that allows them to just have that confidence always, um, no matter what's going on? Um, I I don't know. You know, uh, Jayla. Last fall, I thought you could read her emotions on her face sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we met, when I met with Jayla, I don't know if it was before spring season or after spring season, I said, Jayla, I think you have a good chance to be a six rotation player because we know what a good passer she was and we need someone that's going to play all six row. Mm-hmm. And I said, if you are going to be that player, you've got to show on your face confidence all the time because that, you know, there's only a couple people that are on the court the whole time. And she really understood that. So from the spring season, she really worked on it. And then every game this fall, I, I don't know, maybe there's one match that I can think of that I could tell she was a little bit rattled, but I, she even worked out of it in that match later in the match. But she just did a great job of looking confident. And I, I think she is pretty confident, but if she wasn't, she faked it. And I think that's really critical mm-hmm. because if you don't look confident, you're permeating that to five other people on the court. Um, Keely was a little bit less of a known commodity just because she hadn't been in any pressure situations. I mean, spring is spring, and there's lots that you learn through it, but it's not the pressure that the fall feels. Right. Um, Keely really impressed me with her resiliency because she did have a couple matches that she struggled early and then worked herself out of it and, and had great matches. And um, that's a really, really good sign for the long term for her. Um, and, you know, and she worked herself into playing six rotations, mm-hmm. and she was one of our best servers. So um, I think Keely was an, a really kind of an unknown commodity. I mean, I knew she had the ability to be great, um, but what she did night in and night out all season I think is really impressive. I, she had a tough time answering this question. I don't know if it just stumped her in the moment or not, but after the Iowa State, I mean, really, if you look at her last four, maybe two, two or three weeks, and her defensive numbers, and I know statistics only tell one side of the story, but, you know, uh, what did you see out of her that, you know, in terms of growth defensively and, and maybe her potential as a six-rotation player eventually in her career that, you know, helped her get better and more confident in the back row and be able to handle some, some of those rockets that were coming at her? Well, early in the year, we just weren't sure, again, not knowing her mindset of whether she could handle playing six rotations. We knew she was close. Um, but I didn't want, if she was struggling passing, that to affect her front row. Right. Um, but what we saw were two things was, hey, her passing numbers are good. I mean, even when she was only playing three rotations, she was passing some. And she statistically was, was a solid passer. Mm. And then B, with Kostelak's injury, 
um, we thought we could use her a little bit more in the back row because um, we uh, we weren't getting as much efficiency out of uh, you know offensively out of that position so the, those were the two things that went into that decision and you know one of the things I said to Keely before we did it was Keely if you go to six rotations um, the most important thing is to not let things affect other things. The same so, conversation with Jayla, basically. Uh, not the emotional stuff, oh, okay. but it was more of like if you're <coughs> if you're struggling offensively, then your mindset has to be I'm going to pick it up with my passing, mm. as compared to I'm struggling offensively and my passing's now going to suck. <laughs> so, gotcha. so but that's a big, you know, they, you know, when you have so many parts of your game moving from defense to serving to passing to hitting mm-hmm. to blocking. You know, if something's struggling, you can't let it affect. You hope that you say, okay, I'm not hitting well, so I'm going to block well. You know, something along those lines. So mm-hmm. I thought she did a really good job of that. I never saw her. From the time she went to being sit, playing six rotations, there was not a match that I felt like one part of her game negatively affected another part of her game, which I think is really impressive also. Gotcha. And the other one I wanted to ask about was Annika, um, because obviously she missed most of the season with that injury. Um, she came back and, you know, arguably was the best player on the floor against Marquette and was a key reason you guys won that match the way you did. Um, but she also played really well against Iowa State. So, like, there's two examples right there of a kid who really didn't have a whole lot of experience, especially in the season. So she was kind of out of the flow a little bit. Um, but in two of arguably your biggest matches of the year, um, she was at her best. Do you, do, did, when you I don't know if you saw that when you recruited her or – saw that develop in her throughout the spring or or saw flashes of it in the gym in practice, but do you feel like she's got some intangible ability to be a, a, a big player in big matches? Because, I mean, it's hard to argue with the performance if there's... Um, I think, you know, uh, we saw Annika do the things that you saw in those two matches in the spring some. Okay. You know, we think she's got a huge upside. Um you know, I think the question is, where is Annika going to play next year? Mm-hmm. Um, she could play both right side or middle. Um, she's very natural off one foot. Um, you know, and I think I think the blessing for Annika was she was we were able just to say, Annika, you're going to play. So there's no – I think sometimes the stress of am I going to get yanked if I don't Making do well um, has hindered her some. And so in this case, it was just you're going to go, so go. Um, probably helped her and you know hopefully uh, you know we'll continue to see growth from her this spring Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we pop her back in the middle Kiana can also play both both Annika and Kiana are good off one foot and we need someone to be good off one foot in that M1 position I know Megan didn't go off one foot but she transitioned and did some funky things Mm -hmm. um, just because she was able to do that but I don't anticipate us probably doing that next year um, with your with your senior class, I, I want to dive d- divvy them up um, in a minute here. But um, you talked about their leadership and their and the way they did it, and um, I thought I th- I've always thought it's interesting that you that you said they one of their goals was to be the best practice team in Creighton history, which is which is an interesting goal because that's not a goal that is going to I don't know enhance a legacy because it's hard to quantify that right if if you're talking I about disagree, like but if you're I talking just, about a me if you're talking about like a media attaching itself to a, a narrative saying yeah this team is amazing statistically how, or uh, practice wise how do you quantify that statistically but this team especially because I, I i can remember watching the first couple practices of the season thinking that you've got a long way to go 
And but you could but also going into the second week of the season you'd be like oh wow they've gotten a lot better already and then the third week and so on and then it seemed like you guys hit the ground running by week two you were a pretty good team it felt like um, what did this team do to put that into motion saying we want to be the best practice team but here's how we do it so I think I think you have to understand the the philosophy behind behind saying that we want to be the best practice team that doesn't take away the competitiveness of this group and so I think. I guess the, the other thing is you have to understand what we talk about so much as a program. Mm-hmm. And so to get to end goals, and we've always traditionally been a program that talks about end goals, win the Big East, how far we want to go in the tournament, things along those lines. Um, what we do after we set those you know, objective goals is we sit down and talk about how do we become, how do we do those things? Okay. Well, we have to sleep, we have to eat well, we have to practice well. Well, this team, instead of saying, let's just make these objective goals, let's lock into what we need to do to be great. And so they had numerous things that were on that list. But, I, you know, I talked about the practice team one mm-hmm. um, because that was one of the key ones that they Did talked about. Did it stand about. out to you? Because have you heard a team say that they want to do that before? Like um, it, it stood out to me because it was genius, because this team was following a team that had put too much pressure on itself, uh-huh. was graduating a ton of people, and this team was saying, let's be the best version of ourselves. And um, let's do all the right things to be the best that we can be, and then we'll let the chips fall. And I, I, I love that. Like, that, that resonates with me mm-hmm. as a coach because you're not always gonna achieve every goal that you set for yourself Sometimes you will exceed them. Sometimes you will meet them. But what we talk about as a program is we need to be the best that we can be every day. And I, I think that's the same as from a coaching staff. We, I mean, one of the things we talk about as a coaching staff is we've got to be at our best every day. We need to come in with a practice plan every day. We need to have purpose behind what we're doing. We need to stay on top of recruiting. It's the same expectation we have as, as you know, with our players. Um, and I think everyone should have that in life, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. So what I think it effectively did was it said, let's do all the right things that we've tried to do the last few years, but let's take the pressure off because we don't know what it's going to look like. And so I thought it allowed them to enjoy the ride and say, uh, and, you know, again, I don't think it affected their competitiveness. They wanted to win. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, those, those kids So it's good. it's not a... So I don't know. I think maybe it doesn't make sense, but it makes a lot of sense to me. I get it. I think you explained it pretty well. I'm curious if uh, you know you're not to not to date you or anything. Not have you throw me out of the office, but you know, next fall is going to be your third decade leading this program or the start of it. Um, oh three zeros tens twenty yeah. The start of your third decade. No, I'm yeah. only at eighteen years. Zeros is one decade. Tens oh, is, you know, okay. Gotcha. The start of your third decade. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> sorry, you, you almost did throw me. Now off you there. are pushing it. Let's not jump that. <laughs> apologize, apologize. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it to be a negative. Um, but I wondered if this group, this senior group, especially because um, just of the way they went about their business and the careers that they've had. I mean, this isn't just you know some some kid that didn't accomplish a lot in their in their in their, in their years, especially. Um, but I'm curious if you learned anything from this group. Because I imagine you know a lot already, so it's pretty hard for you to learn from teenagers, if you will. But I wonder if this group taught you anything that you were that, that's probably going to stick with you, at least for a few years. Oh, I think you learn from every group. Do you, you really? 
for sure. You you learn every year of things that you didn't do as well as you should. <laughs> that's just a competitor um, in you, though. No, I, I don't think that's true. I think, you know, one of the things I learn each year is you've got to over-communicate to, to your players. Um, I think you learn things every year. I, I Again, I've talked about the, the process-driven uh, aspect of this group. Mm-hmm. I really liked that. I think you'll see us do, continue to do that into the future. Um, but no, I mean, I, you know, I, I think you, I just think you evolve as a coach. You, and it can be players, you know, Wit in particular was a coach on the court. You mm-hmm. know, she's like, hey, this kid's hitting here. Should we adjust our middle back here? You know, oh, that's a good idea. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. You know. So, you know, you just have players that all that are get to a point in their career that they're comfortable to to do those sort of things. And Witt did that quite a bit. Um, so I don't, Matt, it's not like I can say one thing, yeah, but yeah. I think um, you learn from every group, you evolve as a coach. And that can be on watching Megan Ballinger's arm swing and saying, what is she doing that's so great that we can try to teach to the next kid? You know, like Marissa Wilkinson had a ridiculously good tip. What is she doing that it's so good. Why? What? What can we teach to the next kid? Um, yeah. So there's always those sort of things too. Physically, things that you like, and you do that with opponents too. Mm-hmm. Why is that kid eating this up? Let's <laughs> do it. You know, things like that. Gotcha. Um, I, I want to like divvy them up a little bit and talk about them individually and just what they've meant on and off the floor, if we can. Uh, starting with Megan Sharkey because, man, it's hard to not feel bad for her because, you know, it's. I actually remember the practice because Keely had gotten hurt earlier with uh, had rolled her ankle earlier, and then Megan got hurt, and it was kind of like the bad luck practice. Let's let's wrap it up um, before the whole roster goes down. Um, but she never was able to get back on the floor, and it was really sad to watch her her playing career end that way. But that's not. I don't think that's the way I'm going to remember her career ending because she did have kind of a pretty interesting impact on this team. What are you going to remember about the way Megan? Just, you know, picked herself up, and although she wasn't, you know, feeling well most of the year, she was able to still kind of at least make an imprint on this team a little bit. Yeah, I think, you know, Megan's uh, leadership was by example of how to handle adversity. You know, I think, um, and I, again, I can't express what a great kid she is, and, um, but it's, it's concerning that she still is having symptoms to this day, you know, and, um, it bums me out and, you know, it's, it's only her, I mean, I say this only her second concussion, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, you'll talk to some kids that have arrived with three from high school or whatever, and she had one at Rutgers and then here. So, um, but I think Megan's the example of someone that doesn't make it about her. You know, she, she had matches that she snuck out that people probably didn't understand. Like, I think Marquette, she couldn't watch. You know, some of those bigger games, mm-hmm. the noise bothered her a lot, and so she wasn't in the gym. Um, but uh, such a great young woman, and I just I hope we get this figured out sooner rather than later, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's getting to a point that it's like, all right, yeah, right, let's go. Let's get this thing healed out. Uh, one thing that she mentioned to me in, 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 uh, that she's going to appreciate about this year mostly, and, and Whit mentioned it too, is something that you – try to do and I'm wondering what the evolution of that is um with Megan's first concussion I'm not trying to knock Rutgers at all but with Megan's first concussion she said with basically if you have an injury they kind of just isolate you and say get healthy and then when you're ready to be useful you're useful um but with you 
in this program, it wasn't like that. You wanted to have her around as much as she could possibly be around. And it was the same way Wit told me. It was the same way with Erica. Because Erica's, with Erica's uh, surgery, there was a potential that she couldn't fly to Milwaukee with you guys. And uh, she said that you were kind of... Um, a pain in Erica's side. <laughs> you, that you were... that Well, that, that was kind of stressing you out of whether you guys could get Erica to be with you guys on that trip or not. And whether she could travel with you the rest of the year. I wonder why... Um, you feel it's important that kids know that they're still, you know, a part of the group, even though they're not going to be contributors. Well, and you know, I, I think it's, I think we got to be careful. I'm sure other programs feel that. Yeah. That's what I mean. I know. But she mentioned it. I um, thought it was interesting. Yeah. I, I remember when I'd been at Creighton three years and I got pregnant mm-hmm. intentionally. It sounds like yeah. I, <laughs> I was going to have a baby and, uh, I remember Rass's comment to me was, you're going to be a better coach when you, when you become a parent. And that has always stuck with me. And I think um, one of the things I try to think about is how would I want my kid to be treated, okay. you know? And um, I don't, and I'm not saying this doesn't happen. I mean, as a coach, you always have some people that don't like you. Mm-hmm. But my goal is that regardless of whether a player is not playing or playing or injured, that they still know that I love them. And, I'll always say at our preseason meeting before it starts each year is some of you are going to be upset about playing time. Mm-hmm. It just inevitably happens. It's, it's, it's the business of, of sport. But I want you to know it's not personal. I'm, I'm, I, we are putting people out on the court that we think give us the best opportunity to win, and that, that has no dictation of whether we love you or not. We are just making decisions based on trying to win matches. Mm-hmm. And I said, I always say, it's going to become personal at points for you guys. Try to separate the personal, you know. And so the same, same idea with, with a kid that's injured. It doesn't take away how much I care about them. Um, and I want them to feel that. And so, and, and it's easy. I can tell you as a coach, you get locked into practice mm-hmm. and not not paying as much of attention. I've definitely made that error. And, you know, it's not because you don't care. You're just locked into other things. So by no means have we been perfect. I think part of it is Molly uh, Trevathan, our athletic trainer, is really, really good at that. And she makes sure rehab is a lot of times done in the gym and um, and is such a good connector. And if she's feeling a kid is feeling disconnected, she says, hey, coach, we got to make sure so-and-so's around because she's starting to feel a little depressed. So I think there's other, it's, it's not, it's not a me thing. It's a we thing. There's mm-hmm. lots of people in our program and I think our players get that too. Gotcha. Uh, with Madeline Cole, I'm first of all, regional player of the year this, this year. It's kind of funny that you've had a lot of great players in your program and that she's the first one to do that. But you know, she also is a multifaceted volleyball player. And I think sometimes she gets um, overlooked a little bit because you know, the Big East was kind of like the Ali Barber and Jaylee Winters show for a couple of years, and and uh, you know Creighton as a team just uh, is really talented, so the success kind of is expected with that. Um, what did what did Madeline do to to become such a major impact player in your program, and 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 she's got kind of a different attitude than the rest of the group too. Like how does how does she kind of balance everything out with the way she, with the swagger she plays with and um, the way she's always kind of getting people to crack a smile on the court. Yeah, Madeline um, kind of hit the ground running last year and has been a stud. You know, I think um, I think she's set a pretty accurate ball all the way through. She got used to our tempo. Um, you know, her size makes people go after her from a blocking standpoint, and I think she's a lot of times 
we would pair her up against best hitters because we feel like she's a really good blocker. And if mm. she gets burned, she takes it pretty personally to, to get him the next time. Sort of, you know, she's one of those kids. She doesn't shy away from it. Um, you know, from a leadership standpoint, I think I've said this, like she connects with every kid on the team. Mm. And so uh, I think she had a pretty good way of knowing what buttons to push with players in a positive way to, to get the best out of them. Um, and then I think this year she improved a lot on her offense. We have been on her for since she arrived. I, you know, you've been around long enough. I like offensive setters, mm-hmm. and, and she wasn't as off- offensive last year as I would have liked. And she could have been more offensive this year too, but she really uh, worked on it, and uh, I think took some strides to, you know, uh, you know, Minnesota was jumping with her you know, after she got a couple early against them. And, and, you know, our thing with setters is you're not being selfish. You're opening up your hitters to get them Mm one-on-one blocks. So you've got to, you got to dump some balls to create those holes. Yeah, That was her thing. She did think if she called her number, it was a selfish move. Mm -hmm. Um, How much of the fun and focus mantra that this team adopted this year had to do with her just general personality and the way she is with her teammates? I don't, uh, they came up with that. I don't know, uh, where that came from as far as who originated that or anything. I think the thing that they understood was they wanted to play with joy. Um, so that was the fun part, but they were a team that if they got too loosey goosey, they weren't very good. Um, and I've had teams that are good loosey goosey. And so that was one of the big things over the NCAA tournament. As soon as in any of the games, either night where we created a lead, I would try to get more serious with them and try to almost like not yell at them, but make sure that they understood. Don't be cracking smiles. This isn't, and you know, I I want them to play with joy, but I want them. They this was a group that was a little bit better when they were uh, focused as compared to too loose. Gotcha, uh, Brittany Witt. I mean, she left as the all-time digs leader. I mean, Kate Elman um, is a <laughs> fly fly all around a lot of gyms to to get some balls up. So to catch her in digs is not an easy thing to do, but. Um, it's you know, and it seemed like she went out on her, at her best too. I mean, I think um, I don't know how much of the uh, not making an All Big East team last year motivated her. She certainly said it was in her mind at times, but not maybe a central motivator. But um, just from a coaching standpoint, given that she was a four year four year starter for you at that position, um, how much you know satisfaction did you get out of seeing her kind of go out on her on her on her best foot? Well, what. Yeah, for sure had her best year, and, she, and that's saying something because she's had three really good years. Um, she was special good this year. I mean, it mm. was crazy, and we saw that during preseason that she was locked in. I, I think she'd say that part of it was her decision to take a gap year next year that just took some of the pressure off her because she thought she'd be take, doing all the preparations for medical school, and so I think I think that helped her, um, but whatever it was she was salty good this year I mean we gave her probably more court than we've given any kid um and gave her lots of freedom to read she made adjustments I mean again in the again in the Minnesota match one of the kids was doing something different than what we'd scouted and she got two or three kills and then from then out what was on her she'd made the adjustment um her serve was great this year her passing was the best it's been um, yeah, it was uh, awesome to see her uh, end a storied career playing so well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when people, just from the outside looking in, I'm certainly guilty of this as well, trying to learn this, this sport um, the last few years, but with a libero, they assume it's just a defensive player, and 
you just sit in the back row and you wait for the ball to come at you and type of deal, and then if you serve, you serve. But um, she had a pretty sizable impact on offense, and I think, you know, Jay Lee Winters and Terry Clough talked a lot about that over the years, about how much impact she has on, on their efficiency and where they hit. And, and I wonder how, how she was able to cultivate that in terms of adding that to her game and, and become a player who can read the game so quickly that she can tell a hitter in real time where they think they go. should be going. Yeah, I think that's what good liberos can do is that they're uh, seeing what's going on. And, and she's probably one of the few liberos that uh, we trusted to, to do that. Mm. You know, um, I remember one match we were playing a team that would vary their right back short and deep kind of randomly. And so we kind of tasked Wit to look for that and say whether the tip was there. Um, that's a pretty advanced – that's like a setter that can look at the other side while the ball's coming into him. Those are pretty advanced skills that a lot of people that don't know volleyball well mm-hmm. wouldn't understand. So, yeah, I've, I've had I've had liberos that give feedback, but sometimes I feel like it's just feedback that isn't necessarily sound. And Wit would give feedback that she would look and see what was available and and uh, tell her hitters what, what to look for. Gotcha. And with Megan Ballinger, five years in the program, I mean, if it's funny because I was joking with her about adding if she, if she's been a five time champion or a four time champion. She's like, no, that's five. Um, I, what has she meant? Because I mean, she has been steady Eddie. And I know you like to use that term. She has been steady Eddie from the minute she's kind of got on the court. And um, I know injuries have had some impact on her ability to to maybe be a six rotation player if she thought she could be in her career. But um, you know, just. The, the edge she brought to the game itself and the way she was able to lead the, the team off the floor at the same time. Yeah, Meg, uh, Meg I, I'm glad that she uh, is getting some accolades more this year because she's been such an integral part of the team mm-hmm. and sometimes got a little overshadowed uh, between Taryn and Jaylee, and she's such a key cog, and at, at different you know times throughout entire career, she's won games for us. Um, I, I've said this over and over, probably the most versatile player I've coached, one of the highest volleyball IQs, kids that I've coached, um, fiercely competitive, a kid that if if she got blocked, you wanted to give the ball to her again because she was going to hit it harder and better. Um, you know, just one of those sort of kids. I think intimidating in a good way to the younger players. You know, she's a give it to you straight sort of person but did it in a way that they loved her. You know, mm-hmm. if you talk to the freshmen, she's someone that the first couple of weeks they were scared of, and then they get to know her, and then they're like, oh, she's really nice, you know? So, um, but she she really became a coach the last two years. I mean, we always say you have to build trust and relationship first, but if you build that, then you can give feedback. And so, you know, she, she would, she'd help Naomi, help Kiana, help Annika, and, you know, and now you're seeing Naomi start to do that to the younger players because sometimes they can articulate the stuff we're trying to say. Sometimes we, we use verbiage to these players that they don't understand. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they like later about their junior year and be like, yeah, you said that every day. I didn't understand it. And you're like, well, why didn't you say something? Well, I was scared. And you're like, geez. Sometimes the older players can say, this is what yeah. our stupid coaches mean. They're trying to tell you this. So <laughs> Megan was someone that uh, could do that and, and kind of could read faces, I think, and say, hey, this is what they're meaning. Do you understand? You know, things along those lines. Um, I wanted to talk about the uh, five recruits you have coming in, if that's okay. Yep. Um, and I had Rob Anderson, SID extraordinaire, print me out so I didn't forget anybody, okay. um, which I appreciate. 
Um, but I just wanted to start with, uh, you know, we'll just go down the line starting with Ellie Bolton, what you, um, you know, saw out of her in the recruiting process and what you feel like uh, she can do for you. Well, Ellie's a DS libero. I think she'll fight for the libero spot with some other people next year. Um, play kind of similar to the Elman and Wit that she comes from a perennial power Catholic institution. The difference mm-hmm. is she's out of Kansas City as compared to Omaha. But I remember when I recruited Wit, we were looking at Wit and another kid pretty seriously, and uh, her. Two of her coaches said to me, she's special. Kirsten, this kid's special, referring to Wit. And um, Ellie's coaches kind of say the same thing about her. So, you know, we're excited. She's a great young woman. Gonna Again, I think this is a culture class is in addition to a highly talented class, but she's a leader. Um, you know, so those things I'm excited about of, of her personality. But, um, you know, her high school and her club team have been very, very strong. She's played at a high level and... You know, but the transition from high school to college is tough. For sure. You know, the pace of the game is big. There's a big difference. So, you know, hopefully. Especially with the schedules you put together. Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> yeah, hopefully she can hit the ground running, but we'll mm-hmm. see. Uh, good call on recruiting Whip, by the way. I'm listening to that advice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, Reagan Carlin from Kansas as well. Um, Reagan is kind of different than Ellie in the sense of Ellie's played at. Uh, um, high-level club. Reagan mm-hmm. is in a small town that the closest club, significant club, is Wichita, and they don't have any clubs in Wichita that are playing open level right now. Okay. I mean, so she's she's going to be the speed of the game. I think will be a challenge for her in the short term. How did you find her? If if not for she you? plays in club in okay. club, but there's different levels of club, and we watch all the different levels. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's not playing on a team that plays at the highest level. Although they might this year. I think their team. They're pulling kids, but again, she's traveling three hours for practice, so right. she's not getting there every single day or, or multiple times a week like sure. some kids are. Um, very good athlete, very good work ethic. Um, I think has a lot of potential. Really good arm, you know. Um, so it'll be interesting how quickly she kind of adjusts to the speed of the game. Gotcha. Uh, Katie Mazer from did I say that last name right? Yep. Okay, Katie Mazer from Grand Island. Welcome yeah, again. Katie um, is uh, a setter. Um, led the team, led our team to a state championship this year. Um, just really a steady kid, another wonderful young woman, um, nice hands, uh, and and can distribute. And we just need some depth at the setter position. Sure. I think Katie will do that. Uh, Kiara Reinhardt, uh, her, her brother was a student Dane, yep. manager for you guys. Yeah. Pra- a practice player for us for several years. And he said she's one of the smartest kids. Uh, I think when I was asking him about her when she. Uh, Verbaled. He's like, yeah, she's one of the smartest kids. Uh, like, she gets 4.0s. Oh, yeah. So, like, I, it's like it's disgusting, he said, basically. A lot of a lot of these kids are pretty bright kids. Really? Yeah. Um, it's kind of our angle, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, Kiara's, again, a culture kid, high-energy young woman, um, middle blocker, uh, had a lot of, you know, arguably big-time looks, and um, we were excited that she picked Creighton, and I think... Um, could fight for time next year, both in the middle or right side, depending on you know what we end up doing. So, um, yeah, we're excited about her addition. She was out of most of her high school season with a concussion. Oh, really? Um, so that was a bummer for her. But I, she's healed now, and then she'll play on a high-level club team this year. What do you see in her skill set that you like, just in terms of what, what's on the court? Well, she's big, you know, and you can't teach tall. Right. Um, she's got a big arm. You know, I think she's got pretty good feet. Uh, you know, I think 
the the question marks is as the block gets bigger in front of her, is she going to be able to create off of that? Um, how will she do with the speed of the game? You know, the good thing, the players that I've seen be able to transition quicker than others are kids that play open level club, which is the highest level of club volleyball. That's where a lot of the Division One kids play. Okay. And so that transition for kids that play at that level seems to go a little bit quicker, and she's playing at that level, so I think that'll be good for her. Mm-hmm. Um, Megan Skovsend, is that how you say her last name? Skovsend? Skovsend. Skovsend. Oh, yep. Okay, thank you. Not even close. No, it wasn't even close. <laughs> I was over too. You helped me out there. Um, little Omaha kid, what, what are you, what are you getting in that, Megan? You know, Scove is, uh, a kid that has hit for her team, um, both in club and in her high school season. She plays for Omaha Scott, which has won uh, a bunch it's of state titles back ridiculous. to back. Basically yeah. you of the Big East, yeah. yeah I don't know about that, but, um, and, <coughs> uh, we see her as we are going to train her on the outside, but okay. I think her primary role at this point probably will be in the back row. But we'll see. You know, she's a little undersized for um, most of our front row. She's five eleven, which is crazy to say undersized for that, right? Um, but gives us some depth on the pin for sure, and um, and then I think is uh, you know has a good platform, and we think could do some things in the back row, and then additionally bring some offense to the back row. We're really you know we like those kids that can hit you know in the back row too. Yeah. Um, and then again, I can't speak enough. Another great culture kid comes from knows what being a good teammate is. Mm-hmm. I think you know Scott has kind of prided the, themselves on that. Um, and, and, you know, from a club standpoint, place for a very good club. And so I think she's, you know, going to be able to hit the ground running at this level too. Um, the, the last, you know, handful of years you've had, uh, you've managed to find an impact transfer during the off season. I wonder if that, I know some of that's part of them reaching to you and, and you looking for some of that. Uh, I wonder, is a transfer, um, something you guys are open to in terms of what you guys had to replace this year? Yeah, we'll look around for transfers. And I think, I mean, it's kind of the name of the game right now is yeah. to, um, keep your eyes open and see if something fits fits right. So we'll see if if there's a transfer on the docket or not. Gotcha. Um, anything that you can report on scheduling in terms of what you guys are going to put together for the upcoming fall? And I imagine it's going to be the simple same philosophy despite what you're losing, right? Yeah. Um, I think we're scheduled to go out to Wyoming the first weekend, and Wichita and Iowa State are going to be there. And then the second weekend – um, we'll go to Lexington and play that tournament that we played oh, okay. every year. In Kentucky this year. It's okay. in, at Kentucky. Then I think we're hosting the third weekend, and then the fourth weekend. I think I know what we're doing, but that hasn't been solidified yet. So, and then but, from a Big East standpoint, we don't even know what we're doing I know, yet. That's tough. Um, so we don't know. The coaches have put a proposal together. The ADs didn't like it, so it's kind of back down to around a square one on what we're doing. Um, but the addition of UConn makes us 11 teams, and that's a tough number. Yeah. And, um, do, you, do you want 20 league games? Because I can't imagine, based on, just based on looking at an RPI standpoint, I can't imagine that yeah, the teams think, that have been fighting for at-large bids want to go yeah, 20. Yeah, I, I think universally, uh, almost universally, our coaches think we need to go with an unbalanced schedule right. um, because we need to make sure that we're protecting our four weekends. And then the other thing becomes a student-athlete welfare issue of you can pick up some of those dates theoretically, but now you're playing a bunch of midweek matches, Mm -hmm. which is a nightmare for kids that are trying to balance school and academics. So so we'd like to see our conference tournament expanded, but we're getting some pushback on that. Um, but I so think you are in favor of the conference tournament. You do like that? I am. You know, I think I think it prepares you for the NCAA tournament. You're playing high RPI teams when okay. you're doing that. 
Um, you know, I think the student, you know, we talk about student athlete experience. It's championship season is really, really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that my players kind of feel, I think losing to St. John's, sometimes it helps you. I think Susan, losing to St. John's kicked us in the butt, so we were ready to go um, for NCAA tournament. So, so it looked like it. Yeah. Um, so some of those things, uh, yeah, I think those are good things. So I, I would be, I'm not uh, anti-conference tournament. Mm-hmm. And, um, in fact, I, I would be for expanding it to six teams. And, uh, you know, I think, I think we have to go with an unbalanced schedule. Interesting. I'm totally anti-conference tournament, FYI. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, what's your, what, what's your what, I don't know, what's, what's the ideal um, scenario in your mind in terms of what you want the unbalanced schedule to look like, I guess? Because uh, I imagine from a travel standpoint, Creighton's kind of at a disadvantage in that regard, right, to be in the furthest well, west school. Well, I think um, it's important that the, the outlier – rotates each year okay and i think i think the ad's and the coaches agree with that you don't you don't want to put one team at a disadvantage every single year let alone one of your top teams and you could say teams want creighton to lose but i think as a league we want our top teams to do well and so you don't want to i wouldn't want to put marquette at a disadvantage every year we want marquette to do well you know so um i think you'll see potentially that that outlier team rotate um, honestly, Matt, I, I'm not sure what it's going to look like. Right. There are, and I'm, I, someone else is laying out the different scenarios and I've looked at some of them. Um, but I can't say I've dug into them enough to know exactly what it would look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it, do they have a deadline for when they want to do that? Because I imagine if you're trying to put a non-con together, you yeah. have to know if you have an extra weekend available to, to even. Well, I think we're committed that we'll have our four weekends. Okay. That's, that's good. It's a non-negotiable. That's a non-negotiable. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so that's not going to change, but uh, how many dates we have could, you know, we're planning on an exhibition next year. I think mm-hmm. that's re- that's impacted our program in a really positive way. And so I think that's really important. Um, and, you know, what they decide to do from a... Sorry, uh, we're going to wrap this up. I'm, I'm what they plan to do from a um, uh, scheduling standpoint will affect how many dates we have and and anyway so there's a lot honestly there's just a lot of moving pieces and i don't have a lot of answers right now gotcha no i appreciate the insight into that though um i do appreciate the time uh i know you're pretty busy right now even though it seems like like season's over she's not busy she's really busy um i do appreciate the time you gave especially on the road when i'm bothering you for you know matches after DePaul and things like that but uh it's always nice to talk to you it's always nice to sit down and pick your brain and i appreciate the time and congrats on another great year. I know you're bummed out about the way it ended, but it was a great season. Was well, I appreciate it and appreciate you and uh, all all the coverage. It's big for our program and as we continue to move forward. Awesome. Won't be changing. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas.